Church, we are going through um, our Advent series, which concludes today, and we're going through Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This has been, by far for me, the most challenging preaching preparation. Um, I think we've all mentioned this as we preached to three pastors, and how Romans is this kind of pinnacle, if you will, of Scripture, and it, because it just says so much in such a condensed space. In every verse, just feel like I, just, we can preach sermons on this, we can do series on these things, and we're kind of doing these overviews. And so this morning, we're going from verse 28 through the rest of the chapter. And we've been talking about citizens, as in citizens of the kingdom of God and what it means to belong to Him, because there's no more condemnation because of what Christ has done for us. We talked about how, as citizens, we're to act like the people of God, act like citizens of the King who belong to the kingdom. The way that we go about our life, the way that we, we do, we're to act like citizens of the kingdom. And last week, Ron preached on how we're to be a people of hope, or to hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship. We, we hope because God is sovereign and he's good. He is our hope. This morning, as citizens of God's kingdom, we are to rest in him. Or to rest. There's so many things I could have said with these verses. So many places to go. Good, every one of them good. This morning I want to look at this text and its encouragement for us that we are to rest in Christ's work on the cross for us. That it is complete. We see how God has achieved this for his people. We are to rest. Now, there's different kinds of rest, obviously, right? There's different ways. There's sleeping. There's lounging, kind of sitting down and relaxing for an afternoon. And those are good things. It's good to sleep well and take care of your body. It's, it's good to, to kind of sit down and just enjoy conversation or just, just to rest. What a blessing from God that we can, we can rest, that he has modeled that for us and he's called us to that to rest physically. What God has done for us, what Jesus Christ has done for us, is that we can, he's redeemed us so we can now rest spiritually. We rest in him. This isn't a kind of rest where we just kind of chill out, hey, he's got it taken care of. This isn't a kind of rest where we just kind of show up when we need to and we'll, we'll just kind of eat and then we'll kind of go home and he's done all the work and, and we can just kind of Enjoy. There's no really responsibility or expectation. But we're no longer working our way into the family of God. We're no longer trying to earn our adoption or our salvation from Him. We rest in Him. Read with me God's holy and sacred word. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Paul's writing to the church. He, this, we pick this up in verse 28. and he gets, He's mapping out our position as Christians. This is, is as God's people, this is where we're at. For those whom He loved, He works all things out for their good because they're called according to His purposes. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined, He called them, us, to be conformed to Him, to His image. Not to be called just to kind of be good people or be moral people or, you know, you're the people who go to the church, you're the Christians because you live in the Western culture, people. He's called us. The creator of the universe has called us predestined us, secured us. He has justified us. He's made us right with God. This is the term justification, legal term. He's made us in right standing with God. Not because of us. Not because you're here or you're a good person. You're not. God is good. God has justified you. And He will glorify His people. He will finish the work. He will make us holy. This is His work to do. But this is who we are. This is where we stand. This is our identity. This is our position in life for eternity. Last week when, when Ron was closing out his sermon, he said, I'm really reluctant to give like application. Like, I just want us to read this and feel the weight of it and, and live as people of hope. And I feel similarly. I'm, I'm reluctant to expound upon this. This is God's work for us. He's sovereign over all things, including our salvation. He does not leave our salvation up to chance. Think about that for a moment. 
What an amazing gift from God. He does not leave our salvation up to chance. He didn't send his son and say, well, you know, here's my book. I hope you can figure it out. I paid an extremely high price for this. Hope it works out for you. And there are people in life who, who are good at making decisions, you know? Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you, maybe you just know those people. But you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I tend to make good decisions. I, I'm successful in my business life or career. I, I've done well in school. I, I've, you know, these things are going well. I've, I've married well. The family's good. Like, just in general, not perfect, far from those things. But I, I, I feel good. Like, I've made some good decisions. And you might feel a little bit confident. Like, okay, I think I can navigate this faith thing. I think I can kind of figure out what's God want from me and how can I get that to him and let's just try to make this thing work. And it might be true that you've made good decisions in life and you're, you have good common sense or you got a lot of street smarts. But left to your own devices, you make terrible decisions. Left to your own self, you're just, you're awful, you're wicked, you're selfish, I'm selfish, we're wicked people. Left to our own to navigate salvation, 100 times out of 100, you're going to hell. That's it. You, you can't get there, heaven, by just navigating this thing on your own. Rather, God is graciously, lovingly, said, I will come for you. I will come for you and I will redeem you. You will be mine. He didn't leave it in our hands and say, man, figure it out. He came to rescue, to redeem, and to adopt. He came to save us so that we could become like Him and worship Him forever and glorify Him forever and enjoy Him forever. God is sovereign over our salvation. And maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're, you're listening to this and maybe you think, well, man, my life's been kind of full of trash or things just haven't gone the way I wanted them to. I kind of feel like God's maybe, this whole God thing's kind of a scam. Why hasn't God shown up to save me and do these things for, for me? Where's he at? He's coming. I just want to encourage you to, to read God's word. He's made clear his way of salvation. Repent of your sin, your rebellion to him, and follow him. Turn away from the things of the world and follow him. And if you want that, I mean this, if you want that, if you truly want that, and you repent and you are seeking to follow Jesus, He will save you. He will save you. Our position as citizens is that we've been saved by God, made holy for God. God has done this work. We rest in the fact that He has done this work. So Paul writes that, and this is where you're at in Christ, and then he goes on to clarify this. He said, here's your position, here's some clarification. Verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What a question. (laughs) What two questions. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul's question in in verse 31 is not a battle cry to, to conquer the world. Just kind of have our way. God's for us. Who can be against us? Let's just take that thing. Let's do this thing. We're we're God's people. No one can stop us. But rather, rather it is a battle cry to obedience and to faithfulness to God. What shall we say then? Why can we not follow the Lord? What's holding us back? What things are too big for us to follow the Lord? What things stand in our way to keep us from following Him? What things are we worried about if He has called us and He's predestined us and He's going to glorify us? What is there that's keeping us from following Him? Nothing. There's nothing. Because He who did not spare His own Son removed everything that's holding us to this world and keeping us from God. He's removed all those things that we can walk in obedience to Him because He has saved us. It's a very exhausting thing as Christians, or I should say as people, it's very exhausting to try to obey God out of our own strength. We do this, people do this, we're like, I'm I'm living, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm not watching trash on TV, I'm not cheating on my time card at work, I'm you know, trying to be faithful to my spouse, like, I'm doing the things, why is God's blessing not coming? Because you're doing them from the wrong heart. You're doing them for the wrong reasons. You're trying to, to muster up some kind of obedience and righteousness out of your own strength for yourself. So that you can just put yourself in good standing instead of saying, man, God has given me the strength to obey Him. God has given me the, the, the desire to obey His Word. May I obey and live in a way that glorifies Him, that points to Him, that people see Him. Not just good deeds. So Paul clarifies. God is sovereign over our salvation He's removed all the things that stand in our way, whether they're in us or in the world. Opposition that comes to us. False teachers that come. Self-fleshly condemnation that come. All these things, they don't stand up against what God has done for His people. And that's what this whole kind of passage is. He's saying, this is your position, Christian. Let me clarify it. Let me show you what that means. So this big statement, God's sovereign over our salvation. He's in control. He will use everything for our good. Everything. And He's called us. He will glorify us. He will make us holy. This is a good spot to ask ourselves. Why do we ever turn to other things? 
We read this, this verse, verse 28, 29, 30 through 32. It's like, man, God's doing all these things. He's, he's, all these things he's done for us, his work. Who can, shall stand against us? He didn't spare anything. He came for us. Why do we ever turn to other things or people to try and make us happy or satisfy us? Why do we do that? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, does it? You have perfection, God, creator of the universe, all good things, all things you were made for to enjoy and, and glorify forever. But yet we choose worldly things, broken things. Just looking, will this satisfy me? Will this make me happy this time? I've gone back to this for 40 years. Maybe this time it'll finally make me happy. We do this because we're sinful, we're broken, we're prone to wander, prone to foolishness, we're prone to leave the God we love. It's our sinful nature, and we must rebuke ourselves, repent, and turn to Jesus Christ day after day after day, remembering what Romans 8 says about who we are in Christ who we are, and preaching God's word into our hearts. He did not spare his own son, but graciously gave us all things. If that statement is true, if Romans 8.32 is true, it should change the way we live in a radical way. If this is true, that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The father did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If it's true, brother, sister, it should change the way we live. Doesn't mean we're all living in tents or we're all like in a, in a commune, but our priorities what we do with our time, what we do with our money, it should change all those things. So Paul gives us our position. He clarifies our position. And then he kind of lays out, this is what it means. This is the outflow of that. That's, these are the, the ramifications. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? And then verse 36 is a quote out of Psalm 144. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now just looking at verse 33, 34, 35. How many of these things come from the world around us? People in our life. Man, you're not, did God really say, did he really do that? Are you really God's people? I mean, I don't know. Your life kind of looks like it's a mess. Most of these things, the, the questions that come for me come from my own head and my own heart. 
The enemy in, deceives and he's sowing lies because he'll come to my head and he'll say, are you really? Are you really God's chosen? Are you part of God's elect? Are you, is that really true? He's not the one who justifies. He's not the judge. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? How many times do we struggle with, with thoughts of condemnation with ourselves? Or we have voices of what other people have said to us just kind of haunting us for years and years. Is, it, is Christ's love really enough? I mean, you know, if anyone's going to be condemned, it's probably me. But you're not the one who died. You're not the one who gave your life on the cross. That was Christ's work that he did. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You think that you're big enough, you're powerful enough to separate yourself from Christ? Sure, you can rebel and, and, and you, can, you can reject God. Once God has redeemed you, He's put a new heart in you, He's put new uh, desires in your heart, He's regenerated you, He's adopted you in, you've been atoned for. Brother and sister, you cannot reject him. Who shall separate us? Your family lineage? Your mistakes? The bad feelings you have about yourself? You feel not worthy or un like it's not worth it to God to save me? See, all these thoughts, and Paul's just bringing this question who's bringing a charge? Who's condemning? Who shall separate? He's saying, nobody can. You can't do it. He can't do it. Take your eyes off yourself. Look to the king, the one who has redeemed you, who has saved you, who is holding you fast. And then he goes in the, in the second part of verse 35. Even the things around us, the, the, the hard things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, Sword. These are things that for us are unimaginable, most of these. A famine, or we're starving to death, we're watching our, our, our families starve to death, our kids starve to death, nakedness, literally. Like we're in such a, a terrible situation, there aren't even clothes. Will that separate you? No. It will not separate you. It never has separated God's people from Him. They're being killed all day long. The church has been persecuted for thousands of years. Christians are being killed. John Piper takes a, a stance on this text saying he believes that Christians have been killed every single day since the church began. Every day. Christians martyred, dying for their faith around the world. Maybe, maybe not. But there's definitely thousands of Christians being killed all over the world throughout our lifetime in this past centuries. Does that separate us? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
This word more than conquerors, in the Greek it means super conquerors. We're super conquerors. Not in ourselves, not because we're just good, like, hey, I've done my Bible reading plan every day this year. That's a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. Be disciplined. Stay with that. You're not a conqueror because of that. You're a conqueror because of Jesus Christ. So we rest in that. We open the word in the morning. We pray. We pray as families around the table, family devotions and around meals because of what Christ has done for us. Because he has done it. And the natural outflow of that is obedience and joy and living as people. Although we might be starving, although we might be dying, we're in distress. We're more than conquerors in Him. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation. Paul's covering the basis here. There is nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't say there's nothing that's going to separate you if you, you know, just kind of believe in God and and have a Bible in your home. He doesn't say, listen, nothing can separate you as long as you kind of just are a good person or as you attend a good church and tithe. He's saying nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord, for those who call upon Jesus as their Lord. For those whom he has redeemed, he's making new. For those who are followers of him. So you read a passage like this. All these things. I mean, it's just just like, how do you even handle these things? Who shall bring any charge? Who is to condemn? What shall separate us? Nothing. Death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, or things present. Heights, death, Nothing. And because God has called us and he's provided for us all things. You read that. What, what does that do to your heart? What's that do to your heart? You have read it maybe dozens of times. And so it's kind of old news. It's good news. It's good news. But it's kind of old news. Do you believe it? Does it create in you a sense of complacency? Well, he's done it. Praise the Lord. Like genuinely, praise God he's done it. I can rest. I'm just going to rest by the kind of being to myself, not really worried about my neighbor. Like, you know, I care about people, but I'm trying to keep my world kind of contained. I'm trying to play things safe. You read a passage like that and you think, just, I just don't know. I just don't know. Is this, is this really it? Like, does God really mean this when he says this? Do you feel a desire to, does it create a, a desire to be bold and to walk in your faith? Even in hard and uncomfortable situations. Do you feel strengthened to live a life that is to the world foolishness? But to God is obedience and faithfulness. 
What's a passage like this do to your heart? Do you feel the weight of sin and shame in your life kind of piling in? Are there things that haunt you? Do those things come to mind when you start to kind of size this up? It's like, well, man, the, the things I've done in life are pretty, pretty big mistakes. Lots of sin. Can God really forgive that? One of the reasons I love Romans 8 is because it's like God says, test me. Test me. Not like an a, like a angsty way, but you can trust me. Test me. You can trust me. Test me. I am true to my word. I will forgive you. I will do it. I can redeem you. I will do it. I can make you hate sin and love righteousness. I can, I can do these things. Test me. I will prove myself to you because I've proven myself before and again and again and again. Test my love. Test my grace and my mercy for you. It will not fail. It will not return empty or void. For I am God. He lays this out for us in Romans 8. Test my love. Test my sovereignty. Test my goodness. It is true. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can undo the work that God has done. There is no one greater, and there is nothing more powerful, and he will show his people his love. He has come for us. He will come again. He will never leave us or forsake us. Christ has come bringing salvation to all people. He's building his church and he will return for his church, his bride. And as we wait for Christ's return, we do so resting in him. We do so pouring out our lives, being spent for, to love God and, and to love others, love our neighbors, sharing the gospel, showing others grace and mercy and truth, helping those in need, speaking the truth, standing up for righteousness, showing great kindness. So we can kind of pat ourselves on the back and feel good about ourselves, but rather so we can obey God, give Him glory. For in that, in our obedience to Him, is rest. And in that is joy. And in that obedience is hope. We belong to Him. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We act like Him as His people. We hope in Him and we rest in Him. Let's pray.